Luke 24, 50 through 53. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands that he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today thanking you for this passage that teaches us about your ascension. Lord, you defied gravity. You defied the laws of nature. You ascended up on high where you sat down at the right hand of the Father ever to intercede on our behalf. Lord, this was your coronation where you went in, where you were celebrated, where you were long awaited for to return to. And so today, as we look at this text, I pray that we would be able to see and catch a glimpse of quite possibly what the disciples were looking at as you ascended up on high. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is the ascension, the last three verses here in this text. Um, We'll be closing Luke's gospel out and moving into Luke's record of the Acts of the Apostles. uh, And as they were led by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. But we have to start here in 50 and finish the book of Luke so we can get a grasp on what uh, Luke is going to be talking to us about in the book of Acts. Beginning in verse 50, it says, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. In verse 49, we understand that Jesus was with his disciples where he appeared to them and ministered to their fearful, doubting hearts. If you recall last week in 49 and the verses that were leading up to that, you see where they were scared when Christ Jesus appeared through the side of the building and was in the room with them in their midst. You remember and you recall that they were frightened by that and there was many that doubted uh, who he was. And so he came to reaffirm them. He came, he came to, to settle those doubts and to settle those fears and to speak peace into their life. Does anybody recall that from last week? Please tell me you do. Okay, so he he comes to do that. Then as we start 50, we know according to the scripture that they left Jerusalem, the city where Christ was put on trial. Now pay attention to this, and this gets overlooked quite a bit, but I want us to look at this. They left Jerusalem where they were at, where Christ was put on trial, where he was whipped, where he was beat, where he was mocked and betrayed, where he was sentenced to death. Christ and his disciples stroll right out of the city and not one single word was said to them. Not one single word. See, if we pay attention to Scripture, we'll see that the Pharisees didn't say anything to him. 
The Sadducees didn't say anything to him. The scribes, the Essenes, no one said anything to him. The wicked didn't say anything to him. The demons didn't say anything to him. They did not try to hinder him. They did not try to impede his steps. Satan himself did not try to say or do anything to Christ or his followers as they left Jerusalem going to Bethany and to the Mount of Olives. Why? Because Christ beat them. Somebody give me an amen in here this morning. Christ beat them. He put them in their place according to Colossians 2 and 15. He put them in their place. Colossians 2 and 15 tells us this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. They walked right out of that city and nobody said a word to them. Just a few days before that, just a few days before that, well, I say a few days, it would have been 40. 40 days before that, what happened? Huh? Yeah. 40 days before that, what happened? Christ was what? He was crucified, right? He was crucified. Remember that? Where everybody was saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Satan and his army had thought that they had won until Christ robbed them of their authority, their dominion, and crushing the head of the serpent. Christ rose victoriously as king over all things in heaven and earth and under the earth. This is what he was doing when he ascended up on high. He was showing his authority and that authority that had been given to him by the Father. He earned it. He obtained it. He worked it. He got it. It belonged to him. Amen. Yes, Christ led his disciples right out of Jerusalem. And not a word was said to them. Notice the power of Christ. The power of Christ. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he is the king over all things. Notice the protection from Christ. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thou rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The disciples walked with Christ. They walked behind him. And if I have my mind's eyes right, I I see him as as a mama duck and them little ducklets walking right behind him in a row. Followed him right on up there to Mount Olive. You see, they followed him. And as long as they were following him, there was protection for them. And notice the people of Christ. They followed him right out of once was the lion's den. Why? Why did they do this? Why did they follow him up? To the Mount of Olives. Why was it for 40 days that he appeared to him multiple times? And then here in the end, after that 40 days, that period of testing. Why was it that they now followed him? Because they wanted to be with him. They wanted to see what he was doing. They wanted to be with him. They followed him right out of what was once that lion's den, that that wicked place, Jerusalem. 
And not one word was said against them. He led them. And if Christ be forced, who can be against us? Who shall lay anything to the charge of one of God's elect? Not one. Who would dare mess with the risen Savior? As a matter of fact, we don't see anybody mess with Him, do we? After His ascension. This is overlooked a lot of times in the Scripture. But we don't see Him fooled with. We don't see Him messed with. We see Christ risen and we see Him blessing as what we see. Notice next in verse 50 that the good shepherd led them. Until he ascended on high, he never left his post as leading and the guiding good shepherd. Do we see that? He took them as far as he possibly could go and he did not leave their side until he ascended up on high. He was with them the whole way. This truth brings to mind the song, God Leads Us Along. It's one of, it's one of my favorite hymns that I've just recently learned. Uh, I didn't know it as a child. I'd never heard it as a child. But I opened up the song book and there's a song on the radio that, that I had heard sung before by Selah. And, and uh, the song is God Leads Us Along. It's actually in our song book. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And it starts like this. In shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet. God leads his dear children along. Where the waters cool flow, bathe the weary one's feet. God leads his dear children along. And the song goes on and it goes on and it goes on. The point is our Lord is still leading his dear children along. Do we understand that? He has not left his post. He sent the Spirit. It was expedient for him to do so. He sent the Spirit. And the Spirit still is still leading and guiding us and teaching us and walking with us through all things, leading his dear children along. And we have to understand that. Verse 50, it says, Then he led them out as far as Bethany. Bethany was a little, uh, little village on the Mount of Olives. And you see that in the book of Acts where Luke makes mention that they went to the Mount of Olives and here Luke makes mention that they went to Bethany. Well, it's basically the same place. The Mount of Olives was the mount and Bethany was a village on that mount. And so it was about two miles east of Jerusalem. It wasn't, it wasn't very far. A Sabbath day's journey is what the, the scripture says. And so they were there. He led them out to this place. They had spent multiple days at this place before in the past. If you go back into the Gospels, you see where this was a pretty prominent place in scripture. He had friends there. This was a, a place that would have probably brought a lot of uh, a, a lot of joy to his to his ch- to his uh, children that were walking with him and so his disciples that were walking with him. And so he takes them to the Mount Olivet uh, to, to Bethany, and that's where he takes them. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Verse fifty. This is one of my favorite passages in the Scripture by by far because it speaks volumes. And we have talked about 
the hands of Christ. We've talked about the eyes of Christ. We've talked about the mouth of Christ and his feet. We've talked about his side. We've talked about his brow. We've talked about his blood. We've talked about the way he speaks. We've talked about his hands and all the different things. And this is by far, I think, my favorite. It says, in lifting up his hands, he blessed them. The very last thing that the Lord did for his children was during his ascension. As that ascension began to take place, he raised his hands and he blessed them. We are not told in the scriptures if this blessing was an actual spoken blessing or if it was a raising of the hands blessing. But regardless of which it was, the raising of his hands speaks precious, precious words. It speaks volumes to us. Not just volumes, libraries of books to us. The Lord didn't have to speak to get his point across. Just as my children speak with their eyeballs, I know what they mean when they speak with their eyeballs or when they twitch their hips leaving the room. I know what that means. And they also know what it means when daddy raises his voice and says, come back here. I speak with words. (laughs) They also know what my attitude looks like too. Verbal, to, to communicate, you don't always have to use your mouth to communicate. Well, Jesus here, by the raising up of his hands, it was, it was something that, that spoke volumes, libraries of books that we can see and that we can glean from. These special hands, I want you to think about it. They healed people, didn't they? Yes. Yes. The widow at Nain, whose son was in the the coffin. What did he do to that coffin? He walked up to it and he touched it, didn't he? And that young man sat up. He healed with his hands. He showed compassion to the lepers. You remember that? When nobody else would touch him, he touched them. When nobody else would love on him, he loved on him. Displaying this through his hands. These hands picked up the little children. Isaiah. The little children. You know that Jesus loved the little children? He picked them up. He loved on them. And even when the disciples said, you little children, get out of here. You know what he said? He said, don't you fuss at them. Let them stay right where they're at. These hands reached down into the Sea of Galilee, if you recall. They reached down into the Sea of Galilee and grabbed the hand of Peter and pulled him up to safety, didn't they? These hands fed over 5,000 at one time with just a few little loaves of bread and a few little sardines. 
fed over 5,000 at one time. The scripture even tells us that he blessed it and he broke it. He didn't do that with his elbows. He'd done it with his hands. His hands were precious and they spoke volumes and his disciples were there for these things. And they could see these things. And they would often ask questions. Why would you do this or why did this happen? And, and he would then give the response. And so when Christ raises his hands, I can only imagine the things that would come flooding back. These hands overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple, didn't they? Because of righteousness. He goes into his father's house and he says, you've made this house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of robbers. And he overturned it and it says that he platted a whip with his hands. Not with his toes. But he platted a whip together. And he began to whip and to drive people out of the temple with these hands. Forrest Gump tells us you can tell a lot about a person by their shoes. You remember that movie? People are laughing. People are smiling. You can tell a lot of person about their shoes. Where they're going. Where they've been. Y'all remember the movie? Forrest Gump's looking at that lady and says, you can tell a lot about a person by their shoes. Where they're going. Where they've been. Well, I'm here to tell you, you can tell a lot about a person by their hands. You can. You can tell all sorts of information by their hands. You can, you can look at the hands and, and tell if there are blisters or if they feel like sandpaper or if they're soft and delicate. And by that you can see a lot of times what type of occupation they might even have. You can grab a person's hand and see if, it's, if, it's, if there's a good grip there, if they're a dead fish. That old fish handshake, y'all know what I'm talking about? Or if they got a really good grip. You can tell a lot about a person by their hands. It speaks volumes about who they are. You can look at a student's hands, and I can remember as a young child writing, and I'd have to rewrite these, these words and these, these definitions and, and all the schooling that we did as children. I would have a pencil in my hand all day long and there was a knot that would come up on my finger and as a matter of fact, it's still there because I still do that in my office. There's a knot on my finger from where I write. And you can tell that on a student's hand. You can see where they hold that pencil. And it speaks to you and it shows you what they do as a child. Those that are hard laborers, you can tell where they have deep scars on their hands. And those hard laborers could probably tell you if you asked them, why is that hole right there on the side of your finger? Why is that chunk of meat missing out of the side of your hand? And they would go and they could tell you. Well, back when I was about 11, I had my daddy's pocket knife. I did that one time and cut my finger. I got a scar on the side of my knuckle on my right hand. We had a crazy cow. She was a heifer and we were trying to show her. Her name was Donna and we named her after my mama. And she was wild. I mean wild as a, as a buck deer. She was wild. And we, I put that rope around her neck after I got home from school. 
And I tried to tie her up to the side of the building. And as soon as I did, she took off running. And she pulled me through the mud, through the barn, all the way out the door. And my hand hit the side of the metal wall coming out. And it took the hide right off the side of my knuckle right there. And I'm 39. I did it when I was 11. And it's still there to this day. You know why? Because scars don't go away. They stay there forever. So we see that scars, they stay there. Laborers bear heavy, deep scars. Well, as Jesus lifts his hands as he ascends, we can tell a lot about him. And a lot about his attitude, a lot about what he was saying to us. The first thing I think we can see is his hands open. His hands open, not closed. They weren't balled up like a fist saying, fight the power. I don't think so. His hands were open, weren't they? They weren't balled up, but they were open. Why? Because these hands were giving, giving hands. You can tell a lot about a person by their hands. They were blessing hands. They were hands that were altogether inviting. Think about it. I come into my house and Isaiah hears me open the back door. And what's the first thing that he does? Daddy, daddy, daddy. He comes running through the house. He slips, he falls, he gets up, he keeps running. Arms open wide, hands open wide because mine are open wide. And I wrap him up and I pick him up and I love on him. And we see by this gesture of Christ's hands being open, we see an open invitation for his children to come running to him to receive grace and to receive mercy in times of trouble when we need him the most. By faith, can you see it? By faith, can you see his, his arms outstretched, his hands open, and what they speak? Not even having to say a word, but what his hands speak. Wasn't verbal. He was showing it. Body language. Giving hands, blessing hands, hands that are inviting. Hands that say, My work is done. Right? Each one of these, you can see, if you, if you just apply a little bit of faith to it, you can look and see. He's showing them my work. Yes. It's finished. Amen. Saying all power in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Yes. Yes. As he floats upward. <laughs> Hands that say I've done nothing in a corner. I've done all for you all to see. I've withheld nothing from you. These are giving hands. The second thing I think that would stand out to me would be the blessing of seeing light pour through the palms of his hands. Revealing once again... The holes where nails were driven 
They were driven through for you and for me. I think we can see this through eyes of faith if we just stop and consider the scene today as Jesus ascends upward. As he raises his hands and you can see the holes that are there. You can see the light pouring through them. As you look up into the sky, you can always see light there behind an object, whatever it may be. Whether you're looking through the trees or whatever, you can see that light pouring through those branches and pouring through those leaves. As Jesus raised by eyes of faith, I believe that we can see that, that sun, that light pouring through those holes, showing us, showing us all sorts of things, showing us hands that the scars that for, were for us. Scars that are a, a love letter of multiple volumes. Scars that, that preach the gospel if we just consider it for just a moment and look at his hands. Well, what happened there? If we recall, there was a, there was a hammer and a nail that, that, that came up and came down on the palm of his hands and it drove a spike straight through the middle of him, did it not? And he was crucified there, was he not? And he stayed there, did he not? And then they took him off the cross after his death and they buried him and he rose again three days later. Rose from the dead. Where he was seen by over 500 witnesses at one time. Seen by the disciples. Ate with the disciples. Made public appearances. Those scars will preach the gospel if we just look at them. Shows us what happened to him. Looking still yet at his hands and those beautiful battle scars, and that's what they were, they were battle scars. We see two things at the same time. And it's odd that, that scars can show two things at the same time, but they can. The first thing that this shows, the, the scars of Christ Jesus, it shows his surrender. It shows his humility and his submission of Christ as he obeyed his Father's will and subjected himself to the cross, even death on the cross, for sinful man. Those holes show surrender. Remember he had his hands raised. Showed surrender. But at the same time, at the same time, it also, also showed his all-consuming power and authority. Amen. You say, why? Because it's been given to him. Yes. It's been given to him. Amen. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yes. And he has put all things in subjection yes. under his feet. You see that as he begins to rise, as he raises his hands, and you can see through those holes. So, with these hands at the same time, they show surrender, but they also show great authority in our beloved Savior. 
They speak blessings, showers. We know the song, showers of blessings. They speak showers of blessings. And then the third thing that I would like for us to see, and I don't know how it came out to be three. I usually don't do that, but a lot of ministers do. I, I hardly ever do. It came out to three things here, and that's pretty cool, I guess. Uh, the third thing I see is that this blessing of raised hands belongs only to those who look unto him. Amen. Yes. <laughs> Let me say that again. To those that do not look to him, to those that reject him, and to those that do not want to have anything to do with him, this blessing that was pronounced on his disciples is not for them. This blessing that was pronounced over the disciples are for the disciples. For those that belong to Jesus. For those who look unto Him. His disciples. The only ones who received this blessing on that awesome day were those that were following Him. Do we see that? So to have received this blessing meant you would have had to have been following him to receive that blessing. Right or wrong? And today that there there are still blessings to receive from the merciful hand of our great king. But to receive them, we have to look up to him. And to look up to Him means that we have to surrender our will to His. That's when we can receive those blessings. We have to look up to Him just as we are. Verse 51 and 52, listen to it really quick. Uh, There's a lot here that we can go over later. I don't have to go over it today because... Uh, we have in 51, his coronation. It says, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And we know that as he entered into heaven, the book of Psalms and, and multiple Psalms speaks about that coronation where he was invited in, where he was welcomed in, where, where people and the saints of God and the angels of God, and the, he was, he was, they, they rejoiced at his coming back where he sat down at the right hand of the Father And he took that position of authority where he still is today, interceding for us. Like I said, we don't have to go into that. 51 says, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. He was carried out of their sight. 52. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Y'all see that, that they had joy, great joy? Worshiping the Lord has a tendency to do that, right? <laughs> it does. It has a tendency to do that. It, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And one thing that I see from 52 here at the end of this, this book is Luke finishes out. And when blessings flow out from our Lord's hands, when he bestows and imparts blessings on us. And when we we receive those blessings, we have to receive them with then with open hands. And when we receive them, look at what verse 52 says. 
And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And so you see in verse 50 where the Lord blessed his disciples and they received that. And then in return, the disciples then turn right back around while they are in the temple and they bless God. You see how it goes both ways? You see how it reciprocates? You see how he gives to us and we give back to him? We got to start shedding some of this spiritual weight that we're packing on. See, we eat a lot of these blessings that he gives us, but we never, we never give it back. I've heard them called spiritual hobos. Fat on the blessings of God, but not willing to return and reciprocate that love back to him and worship with arms lifted and hearts open. The disciples in the early church... They were true disciples with grateful hearts, with hands held high and hearts open wide, blessing the King of glory because he had blessed them. And so Luke ends this passage of Scripture and his great, his great uh, gospel here with, with this text. They were continually in the temple blessing God. Today, as we have looked at this, the blessings of the Lord and how he has blessed us just by, just by looking at his hands and by looking who he is. As we've seen these things, we, we have to realize that they come from him. And if they come from him, he wants us then in return to send them back to him. God's children are given to, but if they close their fist, they can't give back. Jesus' hands gave us an example that we are to have hands open, ready to receive, but also ready to give. My question this morning is, are you receiving and are you giving? Are you receiving from the Lord and are you giving back to the Lord? He deserves it. He deserves all of our praise, all of our honor and glory. Let's pray.